0: Well, hello again everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 84. And before we begin and introduce our guest, uh, a lot of people have been wondering what's happened to the Red and White Authority. I've been ill actually, and I have uh, been under the weather for quite some time. It affected my voice, but I'm back, I'm feeling great. And uh, we will start cranking these babies out. Uh, uh, at least one if not two a week uh, with that said I do appreciate everyone's concern but I am feeling fine and let's bring in no stranger to the program I think he's made more appearances on this show than anybody else I don't, I'm not sure if it's at least five if not six of course I'm talking about my very good friend uh, one of the most decent men I've ever met Kevin Allen Hockey Hall of Fame writer from USA Today Kevin thanks for doing this really appreciate it
1: Uh uh. Uh, always a pleasure, Art, although I think it's there's something wrong with the fact that I've made more appearances than Dylan Larkin.
0: So, <laughs> right. So. You know, he's made like three, so, uh, so he, <laughs> he, he's almost up there. Uh, uh, before we begin, we're going to get a little overview of the season, some of yep. your thoughts. I know it's very early on. We're, we're actually recording this just before face-off between the Red Wings and Maple Leafs, but we just came from a press conference where uh, Chris Illich, uh, uh, the president of the Red Wings, uh, made an announcement that on February 1st against the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Red Wings are going to retire. Red Kelly's number four. I think people that are hockey historians and follow the game like you and me know that this is quite an honor. It should have maybe been done. Even Chris said this probably a little while ago, but it's never too late.
1: No, uh, long overdue. But, uh, you know, Chris Hillich, I, I thought he put it to... Uh Uh, correctly when he said, you know, it's never too late. Uh, And I think uh, he realized this was uh, uh, kind of a wrong that could easily be righted. Uh, You know, it doesn't matter when you uh, retire a man's uh, number and uh, you know, Red Kelly certainly deserved it. He was a premium defenseman for the Red Wings for years, always a uh, an All Star, first or second team, Norris Trophy winner, uh, Stanley Cup champion, and you know, really respected around the league. Like I've done a lot of interviews with a lot of older players, and and Red Kelly was one of those guys that was always brought up. Very gentlemanly player, like he he had sort of that Jean Bellable aura to him in terms of being able to play highly competitive hockey but just to be a polite man off the ice and you know went on to become a minister of parliament in Canada and uh, you know after leaving uh, the Red Wings uh, uh, ends up uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, and actually was going to retire at some point but they decided he would play with the Maple Leafs and they converted him to a center at age 30 which is really remarkable I right mean, I mean it's a sort of the Sergei Fedorov uh, type situation we all remember uh, at least those of us who are a little bit older that uh, uh, you know St- uh, Scotty Bowman always felt that sergey Fedorov could have played uh, uh, defense uh, even though he was a center. Well, a lot of people thought well Red Kelly would make a great center back when he played, and the Maple Leafs converted him to that because he was a puck moving defenseman. And uh, Jimmy devolano just told the media that in his mind when he was a kid that was one of the reasons why the Maple Leafs were finally able to compete with the Montreal Canadiens after they got uh Red Kelly and they converted the center they had Keon and Kelly then to compete against Andre Richard um, and John Beliveau, and that really made a difference. So, uh, just a great guy. Uh, long overdue. It'd be nice to see that number four hanging up there from the rafters, and uh, I-, I look forward to it. I, I am uh, a big fan of Kelly's. I'll make sure I'm here for
0: that game. Well, certainly I am too. I, you know, I've been saying it, and Kevin, you know this. I mean, since I've been on Detroit radio, which is well over 20 years ago when I first started, one of the first things I always said is that I, I know the Red Wings have a criteria, a gold standard of numbers. Kelly Red Kelly's only the eighth number they've ever retired for a franchise that's been around for 93 years. So, uh, you know, they have a high standard, but he definitely should have had his number retired. And I've always advocated this, and I'm, I'm really happy about it. But the thing that I've always characterized, and, uh, uh, Red Kelly as, he's the first Norris Trophy winner ever. I always have said he was kind of Bobby Orr before Bobby Orr as far as... Because the game wasn't a lot of puck moving defensemen back then but he kind of made his mark that way which is I think why Toronto saw or people saw he has great forward potential as well
1: well you're absolutely right and uh, you know his uh, his mobility and his ability to, to carry the puck up ice um, uh, was unique in that era because uh, you, you know most defensemen felt tethered to their own uh, 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 net uh, but he was not like that he could uh, move the puck he was also involved in one of the great memorable stories in NHL history and that is of course that the New York Rangers and Detroit Red Wings completed a trade right. that would have brought Bill Gadsby and Eddie Shack to the Detroit Red Wings and uh, I, I ended up doing a book with Bill Gadsby and talked that link with it with Bill and you know Bill was so excited because he was going to be with his great friend Gordie Howe they were very close Um, and, uh, but he was still a little worried even after it was announced. And one of the funny stories was that he Shaq went off, uh, in the post game locker room talking about how he was glad to get out of New York and everything else. Well, (laughs) little did he know is that in the Red Wings rescue room, Red Kelly said, no, I don't think so. I'm going to retire." retire and he threatened to retire if they traded him so the the uh, the trade was nullified <clears throat> of course poor Eddie Shack had to go back to New York and face the media who he had told everyone that he wanted out of New York and right now he had to play again now now after the season they were able to get uh, Bill Gadsby and they he ended up uh, in, you know in Detroit and and ultimately Red Kelly um, ended up uh, in Toronto and away from the uh, uh, Detroit Red Wings but it's it's really uh, we we think of a modern sports as guys that you know try to have a say uh, and sort of break the shackles of contracts but. Red Kelly, you know, back in the 60s, uh, wanted to do that as well. He did not, did not believe that uh, um, the team should be able to kind of hold him hostage.
0: Kevin, I know, uh, Kevin and I wrote a book. I know we've talked about it before, what it means to be a Red Wing, and now in second edition it's called Red Wings Nation. You interviewed Red Kelly for that book. Uh, can you, and Chris Illich elaborated a little bit on this too, talked about how uh, Red Kelly was honored, I think a little bit surprised, but really enjoyed and reflected, and he played on some great Red Wing teams. He was here 12 years, I believe, four cups, uh, seven league championships. The Red Wings won, so he was on some pre- pretty premium teams. But that his time in Detroit, even though he won four cups with Toronto and yeah, was a legend, a Maple Leaf legend as well. But it really seems that Detroit was is still kind of special in his heart.
1: I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, he lives in Toronto and certainly he is so revered in that town that I don't know that he would ever say um, that he considers himself more a Red Wing. But when he talks, he sounds like a guy. Um, He talks at length about um, you know, living in a boarding house, and Ted Lindsay being there. And one of my favorite stories with him is he's talking in great detail about the team. And in the middle of the conversation, Red says, "You know, Ted Lindsay couldn't dance, not a lick." Oh, no. So, so hey, he sorry, re- Ted. Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry, Ted. Yeah. But uh, he could dance on the ice. Uh, that's that's for sure. But uh, he remembers all the details of, of being part of that championship era, and, and he's obviously uh, you know friends with Ted Lindsay and, and felt comfortable razzing him a little bit uh, about that. But, you know, he talks about the bowling league that the uh, Red Wings had when, they, you know, on an off night they'd all go bowling and all that. He, he, he's, he speaks with great reverence. About that era in hockey when he was in Detroit.
0: Now I know that you've written books about with with Gordy and Colleen Howe, and uh, over the years, didn't Gordy meet Colleen at a bowling alley? was it? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, Lucky
1: Strike Bowling Alley for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And they were very good friends with uh, with Red Kelly. Um, you know, they uh, you know they they were buddies and. Uh, um, you know they had a, a, an affinity as well. So I, I, I just think this is a really fun thing, and I know younger fans are not going to know who Red Kelly is, but I think we've sort of summed up, and I think uh, it's not hard to envision a dominant uh, defenseman. Uh, you know we have several in the league, and you know he wasn't like Drew Doughty or Eric Carlson or anyone like that, but he was dominant in his era.
0: Right, certainly, and. Uh, Uh, I I don't want to get off on topic because we'll get into the Red Wings in the league right now and get Kevin's early thoughts about how he thinks it's going to shake out this year. Uh, But Jack Adams seems to be a guy, and if I know if you talked to Ted, and I don't know where Red would stand on this, Red Kelly, but several of the players from back then feel that he just, for whatever reasons, just tore up a dynasty that could have won more Stanley Cups, you know, I mean, Ted Lindsay believes they could have won at least four more and uh, you know, been second in second place. Toronto I think has won 15 Cups or something like that, Red Wings 11, Montreal's at 24, but he thinks it would have been Montreal at about 20 or 19, Detroit at about 15 or 16. It was a different era back then, and I don't know, and I've never answered this question before, I don't know where to stand on Jack Adams. He was here forever. Yeah. Uh, you know he's uh, you know one of the uh, you know legendary, really. But just a different time because I think if if he wouldn't have broken that team up, I think even young Red Wing fans would know Red Kelly probably just like they know Gordy Howe.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, you know, it was a different time back then. Uh, you know, I think it's you know I think we all think of the old style football coaches like Vince Lombardi um you know who was who were they were tough on their players and they weren't really loved they were hard to play for and jack adams was hard to play for that that was uh, you know he was a dictator you know it was his way or you know take your bus ticket and go down to you know indianapolis or wherever their farm team you know was he'd walk around with you know the bus tickets in his pocket um, Pretty intimidating. And, yes, very much so. So, you know, on the other hand, I, I think he, you know, he played the game. He played in the NHL. I think he knew talent. He knew what he had. Um, and there were, uh, I know... Uh, Bill Gadsby has some stories about, you know, acts of kindness uh, with Jack Adams. So I'm sure there's two sides of it. But I, I think most players believe, believe that Jack Adams did break up that team. And, you know, you mentioned before the league was different then. And, you know, there was, you know, a couple of Norrises. Owning teams in different cities, and you know, there's always been a suggestion that uh, one Norris helped the other Norris out by by shipping players there. So uh, you know, there there were always, I think, sometimes moves made that were that thought for the better of the league, and not for the better of the franchises. That would never happen today.
0: No, it certainly wouldn't. Let's jump ahead because we could talk yeah. about this forever. And I know we both want to watch the games because the Leafs are so hot right now, but. Uh, for the first time since 1985, when the Red Wings opened their season October 4th against Columbus, they had five rookies in the lineup. Uh, some, from almost all accounts, people I've talked to around the league, they don't look out of place for the most part. I mean, you know, certainly they're young, they're going to make some mistakes. Uh, what has been maybe some of the feedback you've heard from people, because you're based here in Detroit, although you're the National Hockey League writer, so what are people saying about the Red Wings? Certainly we're not crowning them Stanley Cup champions or anything like that, but there does seem to be, I guess, a semblance or a core of players that maybe they can build around.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they've looked competitive. I mean, that's the word I think I've, I've heard is that. You know they're young players, um, but they've uh, you know they've been in the games. They're not getting blown out. It looks like because they're young and they sort of haven't figured out how to navigate the NHL traffic. um, You know they're going to have trouble scoring goals. Um, But you know they've been better defensively, and the veteran Jimmy Howard has played well. And I don't think anyone believes this is a playoff team, but I think they see a lot of positives. And Chalowski has a uh, stepped up and played uh, pretty well for a young defenseman that's a very hard uh, position to master i always say the defense is even harder than goaltender to play at a young age in my opinion uh, because you you know you're trying to defend against the best players in the world where i think a young goalie just sort of plays on instincts um, so he's looked uh, good I think everybody sees the potential in Rasmussen, although I think he he is kind of struggling a little bit to find his way offensively. I think he's lacking a little bit in confidence right now, but I think that'll come. I mean, you can see why the Red Wings are excited about him. I mean, he's a big guy with with skill. Um, So I I think I feel like there's more excitement um, about this Red Wings team than we've had in, in years since they've, you know, the days when they were really contending for the cup, in my opinion.
0: Right. When you look at it, I know that you've brought it up on the red and white authority before, is that the Red Wings were always known, and you use Pittsburgh as an example, to get those diamonds in the rough. The fourth or right. fifth round pick comes out of nowhere. Uh, I, I look at now. Ch- Chalowski, I think, is has surprised a lot of people because, you know, conventional wisdom going into this season was that hey, he might need a year in Grand Rapids, you know, just to get his feet wet, you know, coming out of junior. And, you know, he went from college to St. Cloud State, to the Western League, and then to have him go to the NHL, maybe he needs time in the AHL. Well, he came out of nowhere, but Christopher N., who was a low-round draft pick for the Red Wings, and then Libor Sulak, who they signed as an unrestricted free agent. He's a little bit older, 24. I would imagine those are the type of players that you are talking about that the Red Wings really have to find.
1: They really do, Uh, and that's the key. I mean, you not only have to draft well, but you've got to sign, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, free agents as well. I mean, that's how uh, the the Pittsburgh Penguins found guys like uh, you know Connor Sheary and uh, uh, players of that. Ilk. They always seem to find a guy or two that can help them. So um, you know, they need to do that. They need to find these guys who can step in. They you know, like you said, in their heyday, they were known for you know late round picks and you know finding guys that were better than a lot of scouts thought they were going to be. And um, but I, you know, I I think. The one good thing that they have going here in Detroit, and this has really been a change around the National Hockey League, is fan bases now will embrace a rebuild uh, as long as you're fully committed. And the fan base in Detroit here was engaged and was committed before I think management here was. Like I, I think the fan base was ready maybe uh, you know two years ago to rebuild and and I don't think uh, uh, Kenny is uh, you know too competitive Kenny and Colin and I don't think he was quite ready but I think now they've moved past it they thought there was still one maybe one more year that they had on that but now everybody sort of understands look you know we're gonna play Chalowski and Rasmus and Aronik um, you know all these younger players and eventually Sadina will be up here as well and uh, Dylan Larkin is going to lead this team uh, even if he's not wearing a C uh, we're gonna still see it as his his group and uh, uh, this is the way it's gonna be we're gonna build around this uh, this group and it's no different than you know, the, uh, you know, the young group that the Red Wings had before they had the uh, the championship there.
0: You know, I wrote today about Dylan Larkin for Detroit Red Wings Not Common, our notes column, previewing the game. And he has been adamant, and he's said this for over a year and a half, it doesn't matter if I wear a letter or not. I just want to be a leader. Spoken like a captain-in-waiting, really. You know, it kind right. of cracks me up. But he kept referring to the young guys. And he said, you know, I keep calling them young guys because he's only 22. He says, but they're younger than me. I guess I can call call them young guys he, I wonder at times, he wants to be the very best player he can be. I know that we both know him, but maybe what makes a good, great leader, and we've covered some great leaders over our careers here, is that they just don't know how effective a leader they are because every time he opens up his mouth, he says something that is captain-worthy, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to you know, be so effusive about him, but here's a guy that, I'm from here. Yeah, it'd be nice to be Red Wing captain. I don't need to be Red Wing captain. I just want to make sure that I'm there for my teammates. I mean, isn't that what a leader's all about? Oh, for sure.
1: I mean, the the best captains are those who um, just everybody knows they're captains. uh, Because, you know, they... (laughs) Except he doesn't... Well, he just sort of carries himself. But, you know, I asked him in the NHL media tour about this whole thing, about whether he would have to... Um, do more now that Zuckerberg was gone. And he said, yeah, you know, to him, the only difference would be is, is that he says, I'm going to have to have answers, which I thought was a very, yeah. very good way to put that. He said, I'm going to have to have answers because people are going to have questions and someone's going to have to have answers. So that's going to be the difference for me because Hank was there before and he had the answers. And now I think I'm going to have to have the answers. And, and, and I said to him, well, that means you're going to have to uh, know the questions then. And, and he laughed. He goes, yeah, I guess that's that's true. And I think he sort of understands. You know, Mark Messier always said leadership. The key to leadership was that after a game when it's a bad loss and nobody feels like talking, you need one guy to go out there and give um, the team a chance to just sort of recover from the loss by answering all the questions. And that's how I see my job is that I go out there when things aren't going well. And when things are going well, then everybody else can come out. But if they aren't going well, I'll answer. And I think Dylan can be that guy. And the other evidence to me that he's going to be a great leader is is this summer, and people in Detroit uh, may or may not know, that there was a Jimmy Johansson benefit. Oh, right. And um, uh, Jimmy Johansson was a USA Hockey executive who died way too young. And the the players, um, in particular Dylan Larkin, decided they would like to do something to raise money. Um, for a scholarship fund for uh, his infant daughter, very young uh, child that he had. And uh, they put that game on, but I talked to numerous players who said, Dylan Larkin was the mover and shaker. And when Dylan Larkin can call every American player and say, I'd like you to come out, and, you know, Zach Parisi shows up, and Ryan Suter shows up, and, you know, Seth Jones shows up, uh, you know. Uh, to me that says like you know people see him as as kind of the leader of the band so uh, and I think when the Olympics comes around you know he'll be there because they see him as that type of guy.
0: Well the thing interesting about that is that D-Boss's favorite player Patrick Kane even showed up.
1: Absolutely. You
0: know and, he, and you know and I, you know, I think I don't think Dylan twisted his arm but I mean no. but, but at first Patrick Kane was trying to make it and I think, you know, eventually he did make it and, you know, and obviously I think what's good for Red Wing fans, regardless of how you feel about Patrick King, they have a nice little relationship going, which I think is only a positive for Dylan.
1: Well, I, I've even said to Dylan Larkin that we've talked about when USA will win a world championship. And I said, well, you know, when it'll happen. It'll happen when... If you, the Red Wings don't make the playoffs you, and the Maple Leafs don't make the playoffs and Buffalo doesn't make the playoffs or some good or Columbus, is when you get on the phone and call up Austin Matthews and say, "Hey Austin, let's go and win a world championship." I said, "Because that's how it works." You know, Sidney Crosby. You know, when he won his world championship, that's how it worked. Right. Everybody got together and said, "You know, we're all getting knocked out of the playoffs. Let's all go over. Let's go over and win one." You know, and he's the type of guy that can do that. I I talked to. Eichel and Austin Matthews about Dylan Larkin during the media tour. I did a piece where I basically said, I believe that Larkin is as important to the Red Wings as Matthews is to the Maple Leafs and Eichel is to Buffalo. Now, I know that's kind of a bold statement because those are number one and number two draft picks who are, you know, franchise-type players. I don't know that Dylan is quite as offensive as both of them. I think he's a great hockey player, but, you know, whether or not he can contend for a scoring championship i i don't have an answer for that mm-hmm. i know austin matthews and jack eichel can but but saying all that i think he's he's just as important to this franchise because of all that he can do um i you know i think he is uh, a leader i think he is passionate out there i think people feed off his speed and his energy and both eichel and matthews said don't underestimate his offensive ability that and when he gets a little confidence and he's going to, you know, figure out how to utilize his speed, um, that uh, he goes, you know, Austin said, look, everybody in the league knows how fast Dylan Larkin is, but he still catches you by surprise, you know, he's because mm-hmm. he's a you so quick.
0: Austin Matthews is interesting. And I, you know, again, I'm asking you a question, and Kevin and I talk quite often, but I, he hasn't been at any World Championships lately, and I know Toronto's made a couple of playoff runs. But is is that because he's so young, and he plays in a hockey market where, when his season's done, he wants to do everything, but maybe not play hockey? Even though representing your country is a, is a great and, and wonderful thing, and it, I think as he gets older, he'll he'll want to do it. And I and I don't know Austin Matthews at all, and I know you've talked to him. I just find it because. If he's on these USA teams and they won this bronze last year, there's you know that yeah. really improves their chances.
1: Well, it does, but I, you know I, you you have to wonder. You don't know what goes on behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and uh, Austin would never uh, uh, betray a team confidence. But I wondered whether or not the Maple Leafs said to him, you know, you've played a lot of hockey, Austin. Mm-hmm. You had an injury this season. Um, maybe you should set this one out um, because you know, look, he's valuable property. For the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, you know, like I get it, they got a lot of great players on that team. I love that Maple Leafs team. They're exciting and fun to watch. But, you know, he's the straw that stirs the drink. Uh, even with Johnny T on that team, right, Tavares right. is a terrific player. But Austin Matthews, there's a uniqueness about the way he scores. He's a big, big player who can, um, you know, skate and do all the things he can do. And, you know, he's. He can't be denied. Like he's so
0: determined. Right. He's he's a thick player. He is yes. just he has a big upper body. He's just a big man. Let's put yeah. it that way. And you know, and he's very he's still you know very uh, relatively young. Let's jump into the rest of the league. I know we've talked a little bit about the Red Wings, and you know we both want to watch the game that's going to start here in a matter of minutes. Um, early impressions so far. Has anything surprised you? Uh, uh, Toronto. They're okay five on five. But on the power play, they're dynamite. If they do have an Achilles heel, I would imagine if Frederick Anderson goes down with any kind of long-term injury, or you have to play defense in the playoffs, yeah. and, they just can't, and, they, and they have a difficult time doing that.
1: Well, I think Freddie Anderson is uh, fine, and I think that, that it will be part of Lou Lamarillo's legacy with that team, is that he got them Freddie For Anderson. Great uh, trade with that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think he's a quality goalkeeper. But I don't think their defense is good enough. I think they all know that. Um, And I think that's Kyle Dubas' first test will be this season. Um, You know, and everyone in Detroit knows the history of Ken Holland acquiring defensemen at the deadline and to make a uh, quality team, a championship team. You know, we go back to Larry (coughs) Murphy and uh, Jamie McCowan and and, uh, Chris Chelios. I mean... He's he made a lot of deals like that. Well, Kyle Dubas needs to do that. He needs to make a trade. And I think the kind of guy they need is, is that, um, you know, they've got Jake Gardner, who is quite the offensive, uh, you know, player. What they really need is um, a, a sort of a stabilizing presence. Uh, they need like a Mark Mathon type guy, a guy that's just going to be concentrated on defense. Um, he thinks defense first. And I think there are guys out there like that. And if you can find a guy who can play 20 minutes, like I think that makes that team just super
0: strong. When you look at Toronto, William Nylander is now in a contract impasse, as I like to say. The Leafs, and this is much like what Jacob Jacob Truba went through last year with Winnipeg. If he's not signed by defen- December 1st, he can't play the whole year. If this goes on and you know the reports are circulating, he wants $8 million a year. I know his dad had a... Kind of tiff, a t- yeah. Tiff when he was a player. So, and, and the Leafs want to sign him also to a long-term deal. And there's a couple of things going on here. He wants the but the Leafs want to sign him for like six million. But they know that Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews are about to sign. And he's kind of I don't want you know I want to get their money if I can. You know, I don't want to be so far behind because I you know he considers himself and rightly so at least if not in their class, right close to being their class. But if it goes down to December first, do you think they move him for a defenseman?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, you know, it's possible. I mean, I think their uh, objective is to get him signed and. Uh uh, you know, Brendan Shanahan talked about what happened in Detroit and made it seem like everybody took less, but I remember everybody got paid really well. I, I don't know how that... <laughs> right. they,
0: their money was deferred, but they
1: weren't yeah. but they weren't missing yeah. any meals. I, I really thought, <laughs> I, I, when I see you, Brendan, I'm going to say, you know, that might have been revisionist history because uh, maybe you guys uh, uh, thought you were taking less, but, uh, you know, I know Doug McLean, when that quote came out, talked about coming in here with the Columbus Blue Jackets with an 18 million dollar payroll and the Red Wings were at 66 million dollars. This was, you know, pre-salary cap. So, I'm not sure that analogy worked, but what Brendan could have said, um, we see it all the time in the NBA. Guys, in in the name of trying to win, take a little less. Now, they're making great money, but so is everyone in the NHL. You know, 6 million or 8 million is still good money. Now, it's less, certainly uh, 6 is less than 8, but But, you know, he could have said, look, in the NBA, we do that. Everybody takes a little less. So, you know, if you take a little less, we can sign Austin Matthews, and we can sign Mitch Marner, and uh, we can find a defenseman. Um, So, I mean, I get the concept. It's just how um, Nylander feels about it. And I I think he's a very talented player, and, uh, you know, I'm sure it's interesting for him to watch and playing really well on Austin Matthews' line, Um, you know, so... Uh, it would be interesting to see what happened, but in most cases, you'd say, ah, they'll get it worked out. But, you know, I covered his dad. I, you know, I'm not sure. We'll have to see if it's going to get worked
0: out. <laughs> yeah, it is It is really interesting considering that Toronto seems to have a lot of things going for them, but, you know, every team has issues, and, you know, and yeah. certainly, you know, defense for the Leafs and also this Nylander thing, depending on how long it hangs over their heads. Uh, let's look at anything else. Uh, you know, I, I guess a lot of people, for whatever reason, there seems to be a lot of anti-Vegas Golden Knights sentiment lately, and that they're finally coming back down to earth. Well, you know, I don't think anybody expected them to duplicate what they did last season. But uh, when you look at this league, what are some of the early surprises or maybe trends that you see?
1: Well, one thing is the goal scoring. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of goals scored, and uh, uh, I, I, I think it might be simply because of the crackdown on. Um, you know, they don't allow you to, to snap down on the sticks now. You know, if you get close to the hands, you get called. So guys can make uh, plays a little bit. I mean, last year we had the the, the best uh, offensive season we've seen in a decade, and it looks like we'll be up even more this year just based on, you know, the way uh, Washington's scoring and Carolina, for gosh sakes. Uh, you know, I, I thought Carolina might have trouble scoring goals. they got a bunch of young players, but, boy, they've sure filled it up. So I think that's been... Uh, One of the stories. I I would say the Vegas Golden Knights. uh, I've watched them play on television, and what I see the problems are twofold. Uh, Number one, they really miss uh, Nathan Schmidt. Uh, You know, he was their top defenseman, and now he's out serving a uh, suspension for uh, a banned substance. And uh, 20 games is a long time and I think they, they've they lost the stability on their defense a little bit. I don't think Mark andre Fleury has been sharp, not nearly as sharp as he was uh, last season during the postseason, and now Stastny is hurt. And you know, last year, Holla was their number two center. He moved to the wing. Stastny filled in. They had pass ready. Now Stastny is out for, I, I hear, maybe a month. So wow. that'll hurt him as well. So I, I would say that's been, and I think the Carolina Hurricanes have been a big surprise. They look... Good. you know, I, I, you know, th- I know this is a bold statement, but I think their defense talent wise might rank in the top five. I mean, they, they got. Some, and they made some moves this
0: off season. Yeah, I, they, they, I mean,
1: they, they, added Hamilton, but you know, they got Slavin. They've, they've got uh, Justin Falk, oh, right? Uh, Pesh, I mean, they've got some guys that can play on that defense, and Sebas, uh, uh, Sebastian Ajo, is a terrific, <laughs> terrific player and uh uh, uh uh the brother uh, right right the brother uh, he's a good one <laughs> so uh, andre
0: not evgeny
1: Yes right they got andre and uh, you know i he may score 25 to 30 this year like, I, I've been very impressed by him. And the, the trades that uh, Don Waddell, a Detroit native, made. Uh, Furland, uh, coming over from Calgary in that trade, has really looked good. Mm-hmm. He's added some size. Martin uh, as well from a trade coming over from uh, Arizona. Um, it looks like the trades are all paying off. It looks like everybody's done a good job. And, I, you know, I, it's too early to say they're going to make the playoffs, but they're, hot. they're much more competitive than they were.
0: Uh, any surprises or disappointments thus far? That 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 that. You know, I, I Rangers haven't won a game yet. Kevin Shattenkirk is might be a healthy scratch. We yeah. don't right know. I mean, is is that?
1: Uh, well, I, I kind of expected that uh, that the Rangers were not going to be very strong. I mean, they announced last year that they were sort of rebuilding as as well. Um, you know, I really expected uh, the Sharks to come out and bolt from the gate and kind of be a dominant player and they haven't been able to do that uh, you know quite yet um, so but I think it's it's too early for surprises yet I mean I think we're just going to have to I mean we're just a week into the season right right so I mean though, although it seems like we've been longer I don't know why uh, yeah it, it does seem like it's yeah. been
0: uh, this long drawn out affair uh, I don't know where you stand on this, uh, this whole CBA thing, lockouts. Uh, are you hopeful that something can be resolved?
1: Yeah, I'm always hopeful, but, uh, but I'm a realist. And, you know, it feels like we always have to have a lockout to get things resolved. So, I, you know, I just assume it'll happen again. Uh, you know, they can't, you know... They, they just can't come together, and uh, this is a very important one for players because um, they should have done this last time, but they you know they want the Olympics back right. on the table. They should have gotten that before. I'm, I'm convinced now, we'll never know, but uh, I'm convinced at the end if the players would have said, all right, got to put in that we can go to the Olympics as well to get that last lockout resolved, I think the, the owners would have given in on that. Um, now they may fight on it. Uh, so that could, could be a big uh, you know, stumbling block. A, a lot will be depend on uh, uh, what, whether the, the owners want to get more givebacks.
0: Seattle, 32nd team, not next season, but the season after. Yes. It, it, so that's pretty much a done deal, right? I know they oh, yeah. have a, a, like a, a vote they have to have. I think it's in December or something. Yeah. But it's, once they approved the stadium or renovations yeah. of the stadium, it was done.
1: Yeah, and, and they really wanted Seattle. They think that sort of completes the Western Conference for them. And, uh, you know, it's a nice fit for Vancouver. You're going just over the border, and they got another team on the West Coast. And um, they, they really like uh, the, the fit for Seattle. Uh, and uh, they're kind of excited by it. And they really were um, actually uh, amazed at the Seattle response where, you know, it was even faster like it took a while for Vegas to sell their season right. tickets and you know Seattle did it in minutes uh, so you know they're they're very excited about that and uh, and people are saying that they're you know that the it may be tied their start may be tied to a potential lockout I'm told no that they're, they're gonna proceed as if everything uh, they being the league is going to proceed as if uh, you know they're going to be playing hockey in 2021.
0: Now let's now if there is a potential lockout, we're not looking at next season. It's the right. season after, so we're talking two seasons out. Right. But it's never too early to talk about it because maybe yeah. they'll get their collective acts together and it won't happen.
1: Yeah. I well, like I said, I'm, yeah, all, right. I'm no, always hopeful. No, you're old, not optimistic. Old, but I'm always, <laughs> but, but, but I always think it's going to be a lockout.
0: Uh, now another scuttlebutt I've heard is that after Seattle the NHL is going to go to 34 teams eventually. I don't know how long it's going to take, but within the next three or four years, uh, and that it's Houston and finally Quebec City, who has had an empty arena now for, I think, a couple of decades. But but, uh, have you heard that too? Do you see this league expanding?
1: I I, I see. You know, I think it works better. First of all, the lure of the dollars uh, is, is too great not to consider it. And I do think... The NHL, uh, you know, it makes more sense for them to have um, a larger league than, I think, the NFL. Um, just because, you know, they're still gate revenue driven. Um, you know, they still don't have the big, I mean, they have some uh, revenue streams that are, are, are decent sized. But it's not like the NFL or the NBA where their television money it's just overwhelming, so it makes sense for them to add and go to thirty-four, and I could see that happening. Um, it seems. You think like, it is
0: Houston and Quebec? Well,
1: I, I I think they view Quebec as low-hanging fruit, like they can always go to Quebec because you know it always works in in, in, in hockey works in Canada, and now that they have a salary cap, you can assure that teams can be competitive. Um, and I think they're they're uh, for the same reason they liked Seattle. They like Houston, a nice fit with Dallas right. down there. And, uh, you know, they have a hockey tradition. there. Gordy Allen played there, for gosh sakes. Right. And uh, all that. So I think there is some um, lure there. And I've heard that the arena is really not a good uh, hockey arena. And I know if it would be, uh, um, you know, they're not going to want another Barclays center. So I know they'll look at that really closely before they make any decisions.
0: Uh, when we, we look at uh, everything that, is, that, that has transpired, and I know it's early, and so we're not gonna really look at the whole league, but uh, I know you've made some predictions and points and all that. Uh, ultimately, when it comes down to it, and we're looking at you know, late May, early June, who, what are the two teams that are playing for the Stanley Cup?
1: Well, uh, you know, I was really put on the spot early, and uh, so I went with uh, Tampa Bay and San Jose. And uh, so I'm going to stick with them because, uh, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people that pick three different teams to do that. Um,
0: <laughs> kind of so, like a horoscope. Something's yeah, and, right.
1: Something's right, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, and I do, I do like uh, Tampa Bay a lot. And, uh, uh, of course, I made that pick prior to uh, Stevie Y, you know, leaving as the— uh, the mover and shaker, but uh, Brisbois, I do have some faith in him as well. I really do like that Sharks team, though, but Thornton's injury now I think is worrisome uh, just because, you know, I know he's 100 years old, but he's a very skilled player, and I think they lean on him. He's still a very gifted playmaker, so I like that. But the team that I really like, and I would love to see him get in the finals of Winnipeg Jets, I think they are so exciting. And I, if they don't get there this year, they'll get there next year because, you know, they can just score a ton of goals. And they are so fast. Uh, and uh, Hellebuck is a hell of a goalie. So um, you know, they have
0: a nice Michigan, state of Michigan flavor to that? They,
1: they sure do, yeah. Jacob Truba and, you know, there's a lot of guys. Kyle that, Connor. And, yeah. Kyle Connor is a stud. Uh, he is. Yeah, you know, I mean.
0: Not the biggest guy, but he's good.
1: No, yeah, I mean, he's just a premium scorer. Like, uh, he's uh, on their top line. Like, he, you know, he comes into the league, he plays a little while in the AHL, and then he goes right to the top line. You know, did not pass code, did not collect $200. Just went right to the top line.
0: couple of more questions, and we'll let you go, because the game, is, I think, has already started. Um, Eric Carlson, traded. The Sharks from what I've read he really has no interest in ex, you know extending anything at this point I don't know if it's going to go to free agency I know the Red Wings you know might like to see that you know they covet him however how will that play out does he end up being a shark or do you think he does go to free
1: agency well I mean I think that once you come this far it's hard not to go to free agency saying that um, you know Vander Kane uh, told me that he was absolutely 100 percent convinced he would go to free agency but when he played you know two months in San Jose he didn't want to go anywhere else he liked San Jose and he said it's a good locker room it's a good area and all that so I'm sure that's what the Sharks are counting on and I Doug Wilson's a good recruiter like he would make a great college football coach because you know he can sell you on his uh, organization as well so you know we'll see I I think he'll go to free agency because I think he's sort of been looking forward to kind of having the. I don't know. I wouldn't uh, phrase it as a dog and pony show, but he's you know he wants to ha- have one of those things where everybody comes in and and explains how he would fit on their team and how many millions of dollars that they'll they'll give him.
0: One final question, because I want to leave Red Wing fans uh, and the rest of the fans of oh, the Red White Authority hanging a little bit here. You mentioned Stevie Y. I think it caught everybody. We were up in Traverse City, and yeah, it was. I think it made bigger news, obviously, in Detroit or in the state of Michigan when he decided to step down as general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning and, and become a cons- his last year of his deal, become a consultant. Uh, he always plays it close to the vest as you very well know there's been no peep out of him at all and he on the record saying I don't know what's gonna happen after my years up here and I'm under contract to no team I'm not gonna even ask you to speculate but if he's being quiet I gotta take him for his word that maybe he's just kind of assessing things and seeing what he really wants at this stage in his life that 54 years old or whatever he is.
1: Well, I think he, I think he was totally honest uh, uh, on that day when he stepped down. I think it was all about his family. Um, and I think he doesn't know what he's going to do in a year. But here's what I would say. We know what his relationship is with the Illich family. Uh, we know that he's a Red Wing through and through. Um, we know that he is a, uh, a super management guy viewed around the league. Um And I just can't see him not joining the organization. Now, when I say that, that is not a slap at Ken Holland. And I've said this over and over again. You know, what fans don't seem to realize that Ken Holland, if you start ranking uh, the most respected general managers among their peers by the guys that they, you know, compete against, like Holland's at the top. When When he talks at a GM meeting, everybody listens. And, you know, he's revered by people around the league. I think he goes out on his own terms. But that doesn't mean we can't bring Iserman in to be part of a team and him wait his time. He's a, he's a decade younger, or close to a decade, younger than Ken Howell. Yeah,
0: they're about, they're about a 10-year difference. Yeah, yeah.
1: so it, it, is Kenny going to want to uh, do this until uh, he's 70 years old? Maybe not. So he, he just waits his time. Um, I just can't see Marion Illich in, uh, telling, uh, you know, Ken Holland that he's done when you know, all that he's done for this organization.
0: And I, knowing Iserman like we both do, I can't see him wanting that to happen to Ken Holland either. No,
1: no, not, not at all. Like, I don't know why it always has to be, you know, a negative. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I get that everybody wants to be the ultimate decision maker. But, you know, Iserman could have, I mean, was the ultimate decision maker and decided he could live without it with a really good team.
0: Right, team that's on the cusp of
1: yeah. winning a Stanley Cup. So it, it it wasn't important enough for him to stay with that team. So why wouldn't he just say, hey, look, I love living in Detroit. I like being a Detroiter. I'm going to come in and help Ken Holland. And then if Ken Holland wants to retire and enjoy life uh, outside the pressure cooker, um, then, then I'll be right there. But... I mean, I don't know why you can't have it, your cake can eat it too here. I don't know why, you know, Ken Holland can't be GM for a couple of more years if that's what he wants to do, and uh, Steve Eisenman to be, you know, his, uh, you know, co-conspirator or uh, uh, call whatever you want, you know, you know, consultants, you know. Because, you know, that's the way it worked when Eisenman was here. You right. know, the, one, the way Ken Holland's management style is is that, you know, he has... Uh, um, a cabinet. And, uh, you know, he's the ultimate decision maker, but he values the opinions. I mean, they used to, they had a great one back in the old days when it was Jimmy Nill and Iserman. Um, you know, they'd sit around and, and they'd talk about what they were going to do, and he'd listen to everybody talk. And um, and Holland really respects Iserman. So I, I think it could work. I think if Iserman just wanted to come back and be a consultant for a while, um, and I can't see him staying away from hockey. So he's gonna to want to do it. And, and, and if he goes anywhere else, he's in the same problem he had before.
0: Yeah, you know, it, just to wrap it up, as Steve Eisenman has told me many times, I was a hockey player at four, 14, 24, 44. If I live to be 104, I'm always gonna be a hockey player. Right. And so that goes to show you his mindset and where, where he's really coming from.
1: Right, right, so. But I, I, this, I would, this is what I would say, though. Knowing um, Marion Illich, and in her relationship and her respect for Ken Holland. I think Ken Holland's here as long as he wants to be
0: I, I, I completely agree with that. And again, I know I just said it and I'll reiterate it. I think that's the way Steve Eiserman I don't think Steve Eiserman yeah. would want to come into Detroit pushing Ken Holland out the door. I just don't see that happening.
1: Well, and he and Ken Holland deserves to be here. Right, like, exactly. You know, you know he, there was a long, long run here. It's not like uh, Ken Holland forgot how to build a hockey team.
0: I think we're seeing it right now. Yeah, I mean, sure. with where the Red Wings are, they've got 11 picks this upcoming draft in uh, in June in Vancouver. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he has a plan. He just hasn't had to be in this mode very often as Red Wing general manager. Yeah, he didn't have the uh, options
1: right. that he had now because he wasn't picking high enough. And, you know, it's like the commercial that they showed about the guy that ran the, uh, the company and apparently things weren't going so well. So he gets everyone and they're going to visit all their customers and um you know and he goes out himself even well that's holland like right. holland, holland was so invested in the last draft um, and before he didn't have to do that he had jim Neal, and he had people and you know what the team was good and he just counted on delegating the responsibility well now i think he has embraced the challenge of building his team and he's ken holland vintage 25 years ago when you know he started out as a scout and I, he's out there like You know, when you talk about the, like, he knows everything about all of his prospects now, where in the past, I think he was just uh, concentrating on maintaining the level they were at, which took all of his time. I mean, that's the way it works. But now he's got a new mandate.
0: Yeah, I, I know I want to let you go, but I, you, I, I I'd be remiss not to ask you because the Red Wings do have a lot of young prospects. I think a lot of fans were disappointed that Philip Sadina did not make the Red Wings out of training camp, and it's now in Grand Rapids. Have you heard any kind of scuttlebutt or anything about Sadina at all as a player?
1: Or? I have not. Um, you know, I know everyone around the league thought that that was a great pick. Um, that they couldn't believe that it fell that he fell to him, and you know he was the you know the score the the guy that could do it in traffic, and, uh, you know, he had some magic to his game. So um, I, I I think everyone's still excited about it. I was disappointed, too, that he went down. I, I think when you get in this position, you got to sell hope a little little bit. Right. Yeah, sell some hope. Put the guy out there. Let everybody see. Because, you know, fan bases are more sophisticated now than they used to be. Right. They can see it. They can look at the acorn and envision the tree. They're, they're capable of that. Where I, I'm not so sure they were 20 or 25 years ago. But everybody's on the web now. They they see these give these guys the videos. They they know about prospects before they even show up.
0: Well, on that note, we're going to have to end this, Kevin. I think we're a little bit longer than I promised you. I you know I truly appreciate it. We've yeah. been friends a long time. I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you for appearance five, six, seven. I'm not even sure what it is now. (laughs) You know what, what actually. It's well over 30 because the first 25 episodes, you and I hosted this show before it became the Red Wing Podcast. But uh, anyway, thank you, Kevin. It's always great seeing you. I really appreciate your time. Always a pleasure.